welcome to the Dice Are Screaming. Oh. I'm Randy. And this is Mike. And we are the Dice Men of the Dice Are Screaming, and you're listening to us on our Friday edition. That's ah, right. Indeed. Another Friday has come. Yep. Hope your weekend is full of gaming goodness, and if not, hopefully you can spend some time getting ready for your next gaming with us. Oh, well, yeah, and we're... I believe we're entering a series with this edition, are we not? Oh, I think we're just going to touch on some basic things and uh, see where it leads us. As always, if we want to touch back to these, we often do. We go back and forth. But uh, tonight's a meaty topic, so we're just going to get right on t- into it. Yeah, we got to break this one down uh, and only really cover a portion of it, because this, this one's, you know, there's a lot of heft in this. Yeah. Uh, as hefty as a... Sack with a full carrying capacity. That's right. You're going to be over-encumbered with this one. Tonight we're talking about treasure. Ah. <laughs> loot, sweet loot. Yeah, that's what you really do this for. And, you know, as dungeon mastering, game mastering, whatever you want to call it, is, is that one of your primary tasks, besides creating an interesting and, and deeply involved campaign world, you're also... The Stalker of Treasure. Yes. Uh, you know, every DM finds themselves in this quandary. Uh, when you stock a place with monsters, you also have to stock it with treasure. Uh, and that adjudication process should be carefully undertaken. Give a little thought to it. There's usually excellent guidelines in most major, you know, uh, D&D style books, uh, be it first edition, second edition, what have you, uh, or Pathfinder. You know, there are all uh, very good recommendations out there to be read, but give some thought to them and employ them, because there are a few stickier situations than finding yourself too late uh, in having over-rewarded player characters unnecessarily. Yeah, and we've talked about this in our Monty Hall session, but... uh... You know, look that up if you need some guidelines and some help. But uh, right now, we're just going to cut right into it. There are four basic forms of treasure that you give to players. And uh, the first is coins. And the next is gems and jewelry. And also followed closely by arts and goods. And lastly, magic items. So we're going to touch on all four of those. And we're going to start right off with the basic bitch of them all, which is coins. Now you can just say, oh, I got coins, pile of coins, that those show up all the time. Whether yeah. you're, you know, kicking over a goblin lair and, you know, shaking them for loose change. <laughs> you know. uh, when you're level one and you're hoarding those coppers because uh, that inn is expensive. You know, it's a, it's a tough place to be in. But coins are the backbone. Uh, yeah. Since they're the most common thing to purchase goods and services with uh, in a town. They require zero exchange normally, although circumstances like differing countries and different currencies can occur if that's uh, a thing in your particular campaign. But who doesn't love the good old-fashioned pile of coins? Right, and with that, you know, we just think it's pretty simple to just mention, well, you know, always adding a pile of coins or chest full of silver or gold. It's always easy, but uh, there's a lot more to it, and uh, that's what we're going to touch on here. So bear with. Uh, coins, you know, whether it's copper or platinum, you know, they come in, as Mike just touched on, they 
come in a variety of denominations, but they also come in, other countries can also make their own coins, and that can add to a little bit of extra book work, but also make your campaign seem a little bit more alive. And while it's pretty much the DM's purview for that, it's also worth saying that uh, when looking at coins, I um, started incorporating for my campaign um, denominations from other countries in the treasure piles, as well as even rare coins. Coins from another empire, long faded. They can have potential worth to a numinist. Yeah, you can look that up. Oh, numismatist. Numismatist. A uh, coin enthusiast, or one who is very knowledgeable about the collecting of coins. Uh, in my current campaign, uh, first edition, uh, I have tweaked a few things and gone to a silver standard and currently have varying types of coinage by country uh, with uh, coinage minted by different uh, creatures having different values. Uh, for instance, the uh, humanoids, the goblins, uh, orcs, uh, hobgoblins, uh, coinage minted by them on various occasions that they have gotten up to that uh, are generally of low quality and, you know, debased uh, and don't really... Their value is about half that of a standard coin. Uh, whereas Elvish and Dwarvish coinage, I list with unusual purity, uh, and the, those non-debased coins tend to have a greater value. So, yeah, I mean, this is a thing you can actively use in any campaign. Yep, and, you know, it's a little extra bookwork, but you can add a little bit of depth. But uh, Mike touched on the thing that I wanted to get to was the silver standard. Now, in for most of the time in my career as a dungeon master and uh, player, gold has always been the standard. And it does get a little old hat, but, you know, the reason for gold to be there is quite simple. That's what we started with. That's what we were raised on. That's why it's good for everybody. Gold, it's what's for breakfast. Right, but when I played... Uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay back in the day, they went to a silver standard and I started realizing that the change in the currency was more than just a shift in the brackets of numbers but it actually added value to like well when you found 100 gold coins man, 100 gold crowns in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was time for extra <laughs> cheese on the pizza and elven party girls yeah, that's it boys we're farting through silk now Right. Uh, you know, that was good news. If you had a pile of gold coins in Warhammer Fantasy uh, back in the day, uh, you had just hit the big leagues. Uh, it was a job well worth doing to get your paws on that kind of money. And games like RuneQuest went to a bronze standard and also had different denominations depending on countries. You know, Lunar Silvers were quite a bit uh, coveted by most adventurers, even though the countries that you were adventuring in or made in areas, in the Orlantian areas, were not uh, copacetic to the lunar coins. They held a lot of value with merchants and traders. So, you know, that's something to think about for those denominations of coins. But on the standard, whenever you put coins in there, you know, it's usually the de facto treasure that you're going to be placing. So... What is too much? What is too little? Well, we're not going to really cover on that, but I'm just going to say this, that there are a lot of ways in which coinage helps your campaign, full coins. Even when you get high levels, uh, where treasure is a little less 
on the slim side. You know, you're dealing with thousands of gold from a pile of uh, coins hoarded by a dragon. Yeah, and if you just had your players pimp slapping a dragon around to get get at those coins, uh, you know, fair enough. If you've done your job, they they paid for that treasure in spades. Uh, you know, it's it's all fine and dandy, but adjudication is a thing that we'll probably cover another time. Uh, because carefully, you know, while we encourage careful adjudication of treasure amounts, uh, that's a little more involved than we want to tackle right at the moment. Right, so uh, just make sure that, you know, your coins valued, always make it fun. If you run the gold standard, that's fine, but uh, like the Pathfinder playtest is running the silver, and I think that's a good way to go. Try it out sometimes, see how your players like it. Um, and with that, we give an ode to the electric piece. Oh, uh... Yeah, that that is a classic. Uh, Where have you tidbit. gone, Electrum piece? Oh, Electrum, uh, you know it just. I honestly actually remember uh, in the very first books that I had purchased for uh, Dungeons and Dragons, running across the term Electrum, uh, and not knowing it. You know, right. I mean, when you're 12, you know, what do you know about Electrum? I, you know, who knows about medieval coinage at age 12? Uh, you know, not even my nerdery was up to that level. Uh, and I loved reading stuff like Le Morte d'Arthur, so... Yeah. Uh, you know, high level of nerdery was there, but I still didn't know what Electrum was, and it really fried my circuits. It's like, yeah. cool, what a neat word, Electrum. And it slowly disappeared, so, you know, that's something you can also pull out for the old school feel. Yeah, having hold. countries with uh, blended gold-silver coinage that uh, is, you know, neither entirely of gold nor entirely of silver. Uh, you know, and, of course, um, you know, there is... Uh, There's bronze pieces and iron drabs. And uh, raw ingots of valuable metal from which coinage can be drawn. Right. Uh, ingots of gold and silver and of, uh, well, you know, tin was surprisingly valuable right up in, until the, the age of iron. And Indeed. it was still pretty darn useful after that, too, so. Yep, so just salt your treasure hordes and uh, watch your players eat it up. So, having spoken about coins, we're going to move on to the next one, which is gems and jewelry. Now, oh, classic. We're just going to start with gems, and uh, there is a plethora of gems, and I would always advise somebody who, when you're starting to place gems, like what's a peridot, what's oh, a yeah. citrine, or, you know, we all know basically rubies, diamonds, and sapphires are the more higher value ones, but there's a ton of others, tiger eyes. Yeah, a nice tiger eye. Even a jasper, uh, you know, is a low-value stone, but uh, used as decoration on a piece of jewelry, uh, the overall net effect and the value of the the piece that it's been set in uh, can make relatively unimpressive jewels in monetary amounts uh, still attractive pieces of treasure. And it's nice to balance them out. Uh, you know, not everything is you know, like nothing but diamonds, rubies, and emeralds because, uh, frankly, you're going to rack up a whole lot of value uh, in a very small amount of gems. Mm -hmm. So Yep, and gems have the one nice thing is that they're very portable. Oh, you know, yeah. For a very small uh, encumbrance point, you have literally a couple hundred of gold just sitting there. 
Now the trick is, of course, with gems is that if they're cut or uncut, that also determines their value and, of course, leads you to interacting with money lenders, merchants, and gem cutters. They will and buy other it. forms of rogue. Yep, yep. And they are the rogue. Uh, which, uh, fine old DM tradition, is that, uh, you know, the other person's looking to make a profit, too. So if you've got stuff that uh, is moving second or third hand and the player character is not a skilled uh, gem-appraising rogue, uh, but they happen to have their paws on it and it has an approximate value, uh, under no circumstances should they be able to trade that in for 100%. Right. Uh, and it may seem like you're being a little miserly, but uh, it is part of the compensatory rate of adventures that, you know, if you have a 100 gold piece gem, you know, you can trade it for 100 gold pieces worth of silver or of goods or coins in one setting. But you're not going to be able to always count on the gem rate being stable and depending who you're dealing with. So that's another good way. But Yeah, then, we covered economics a while back, but it's worth remembering uh, you know, to remind it. If yeah. a guy shows up in a only modest-sized town and unloads a gem pile, uh, one, they're going to absorb a lot of the ready cash uh, for that merchant. And number two, uh, within a short period of time, uh, the value of those gems may drop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, get rid of them all at once. Yep, and then it leads into jewelry, which is a combination of your rare metals and worked gems. And those have a very high value. And again, highly prized by adventurers. Never led adventurers. It's like, oh, what do you mean a 500 gold piece uh, necklace with set with fire stones? <laughs> that, fire opals and all that. That sword baldric uh, encrusted with gems? Oh, man, I'm on that. Yeah, so jewelry. You know, always work up something a little bit uh, fancy for your jewelry, and players will, of course, enjoy that. And also, the monetary reward goes up with that as well. So that's something to always be aware of, is that jewelry was never made higgly-piggly. It was just thrown around. It, somebody had it commissioned and made. And um, that could also lead into entanglements later on. But again, you don't want to get too involved into your player's giving out loot and then making them uh, have to work double hard to get the value out of it. Just make it interesting now and then. You know, a nobleman, want, his son died long ago and the family crest that he was wearing around his neck has been lost and now the return of that could double. Yeah, that uh, that is the just value. the classic uh, <clears throat> treasure used as uh, second-hand adventure hook. Uh, you know, it, we covered maps a while back, and that's an obvious one, but, uh, you know, jewelry especially relevant to a particular family or to a piece of history, or, or say, for instance, wait, that is the sacred eye of such and such, oh, yeah. beloved and desired by an entire cult, the bloodthirsty maniacs, and now you have it. Oh, yeah, they'll not just pay for it, they'll pay for it in blood. Yeah. Preferably yours. <laughs> but, uh, or your players. But, uh, yeah, gems and jewelry, always a good one. And, you know, highly prized for adventurers because it's low weight and high value. So then that brings us to another little point about gems and jewelry is that they often are, especially your high value gems, are used as material components in some <laughs> spells. Oh, yes, they are. And, late, and magic item craft. 
damn, mages have expensive habits. Yes, okay? they do. They just really do. Uh, you know, that's that's one where your players are going to have to work that out amongst themselves while the, the mage cheerfully explains, but guys, it's an essential spell component for this seventh level spell. Like, yeah, it's also an essential component for me going down to the you know, gem pawn shop and uh, getting me enough cash for new plate mail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, that can cause some party distance. Round diamond dust, oh boy. Yeah. It should, uh, really? <laughs> you know, why not just uh, huck gold bricks at your enemy's yeah. mage? Uh. My stone skin. Oh, yeah. And, of course, the next part is arts and goods. And this is where it really gets uh, nice for the DM to bring in some color to the campaign. Because art can be just more than just paintings and statuary. <laughs> it can also be... Goods like a carpet, yeah, or a fine piece of clothing, you know, an attractive tapestry, uh, an exquisitely made piece of furniture, anything can be treasure. Yeah, uh, you know, especially if it's you know painstakingly crafted from a rare material. Uh, you know, if, for instance, uh, oh, a a small seat carved exclusively. From jet, mm -hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> it, as ludicrous as it sounds, these can be heavy, bulky, awkward items with a really high value, but that eat up a lot of space. Yeah, I mean, and it makes it hard to carry around. What do you mean I'm carrying around a changing screen from Enclavadra? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's worth three thousand gold, man. This thing is like exquisite. <laughs> he he reminds me painfully is. You know, we, we now flash back to Mike uh, in the Drow module, uh, looking at all of those elaborate treasures bound up in beautiful pieces of furniture, and I'm like, oh yeah, those are coming with. And she's like, dude, are you carrying them? I swear by all that is holy, I will carry them. I will carry them, bury them, and then come back and get them. Yeah. Rather than let this go, because if this sits here overnight, it'll be gone. Right, and you know, that's the whole thing about these treasure items is the in art and goods is that you have get to play with the players a little bit on making them have this make decisions on what they're going to carry with them out of the dungeon and also burden them with treasure. Yeah, worth mentioning uh, other examples of ancient world treasure uh, that you know, like unreasonably overpriced things that you wouldn't expect uh, spices. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, uh, bolts of very well-made dyed cloth, or even uh, vats of dye. Uh, you know, these are all things that were major trade goods that, you know, that, that was the wealth of nations on the line right there. Uh, the player characters may not know that, uh, and you are under no obligation to explain it to nope. them either. Uh you know, if they just think that, uh, oh, well, that jug of wine that we found that, uh, you know, has a year and date mark on it that doesn't mean anything to us, uh, the fighter swills it. <laughs> yeah, well, there just went uh, 120, you know, GP worth of party treasure. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, it's the best wine, the most expensive wine hangover he has ever had. That's right. And so, you know, don't forget to salt large hordes 
with art and goods, even if you make them a little obscure at times. And uh, also, you know, we get to the final part here, which is the media's part, is magic items. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, an exhaustive topic. I mean, you know, there are so many of them. Uh, you know, what do you think? We'll start with, like, single-use and or short-term magical items. Uh, yeah, that's a good know, one. Potions, scrolls, potions, scrolls, and wands. Yeah, these uh, tokens, uh, protective, minor protective wards, things like that. Uh, these are great stuff to pepper any treasure with. Uh, they just get a little bit boring because the higher level parties can wind up doing. This is my eighth ring of protection plus one. How many of these I got a pawn? Yeah. Uh, that is a risk, but uh, I've always fallen into the camp of uh, I don't think it becomes less likely to find one just because the party is high level. Right. Uh, Especially when you're facing NPCs. Oh, yeah. Or uh, monsters, that, uh, leader types that have a magic shield or weapons. They're going to use them in their treasure pile. And so the players kind of pay a price for having to face someone actively wielding it rather than just sitting passive waiting for some hand to pick it up. Of course an Orc Chieftain is going to use a plus one uh, sword. Of course he is. Um, he's probably going to beat everybody up in his tribe to make sure that he's the only one who has access to these items. And of course he's going to wear them and use them. So don't be afraid to pass those out. And also if you're fighting the most dangerous game, other NPCs statted uh, player oh, character yeah. NPC, uh, player character classes with you know enemy fighter, evil fighters, and evil rogues, they're going to of course have treasure on them as well. Yeah, perhaps not so much as the adventuring party per se, but they should be equipped with items appropriate to their level and relative strength and experience, uh, which makes them terrific opportunities. However, I, I couldn't let this pass. I've, I've got to remind people of you know, like my DM duty. Uh, dang, I said duty. No. Uh, no. I thoroughly believe that... The heat of combat, you know, in the in the uh, melee, uh, people don't pay attention to the wear, tear, and damage that they can put upon items that their enemies are wearing and using. So, you know, you go into the oh, uh, the den of ogres, and the mage just hucks a fireball right into the central room. Just pow! You know, I'm going to knock out as many of these things as possible before we're neck deep in ogres. Okay, congratulations. That That's a thing. That totally happened. Uh, but if there is any worn, active, you know, engaged loot uh, on those ogres, uh, it's all getting an item save. Um, yep. Every last stick of it. You know, oh, yeah, dude, you, you even melted the magic longsword down into slag. Uh, if it fails the roll, magic magic weapons tend to be the hardiest of the bunch. Yep. But don't plan on a, you know, small vial of potion of invisibility making it through the concussive blast of two fireballs. Uh, so that's that's my DM jerk moment where oh, yeah. I've got to pull the reins in. Well, it also goes to the serve that there are consequences for players' actions. Yeah, they clear the room, but uh, or make the ogres easier to fight. <laughs> but they also take a little bit of chunk out of the treasure. So, 
Yep, and it also makes players a little bit more cautious in understanding that there are consequences to their powers. And, of course, you know, it kind of puts a little bit of a clutch into the, how much treasure they're receiving. So, And I'm a big fan of these smaller treasure items because they're a great way to spice any encounter with at least something that, like, suitably rewards the players but doesn't go crazy with it. You know? Yeah, like a scroll of fireballs <laughs> or a mage type at third level or a wand with burning hands on it. Uh, gives a little extra firepower and a little durability to the mage to be in combat longer. and uh, But, you know, they're not as powerful as the spells they cast, so it's pretty easy to retrofit that in. But, uh, you know, scroll, fireball, or lightning bolt or dispel magic always makes for a good clutch item when the chips are down for the player characters. Oh, yeah, and I've seen player characters uh, do the most amazing and respectable things. I mean, somebody had a... They had a scroll with airy water on it for something like a, a year and a half, uh, only to find one particular adventure that was exactly the spell they needed, and they dug that thing out. They remembered they had it, and they put it to work. All right. Uh, and kudos to them. I, I doled out extra XPs for uh, thoughtful and appropriate use of a magical item they've been sitting on a long, long time. Yep, so, you know, one-shot items are easy to dole out, and they give a lot of, they pack a lot of punch and power, but uh, sometimes, just like with the scrollberry water, it only comes in valuable once, but Manny, are you glad you kept it? So, now we're going to turn to uh, arms and armor and miscellaneous magic items, and while we could spend a whole session just talking about that, we're going to boil it down to this, is that magic weapons and uh, armor are the meat and drink of your fighter types, whether it's a bundle of arrows, magic arrows, or a uh, well, yeah, any melee combatant, uh, you know, I mean, rogues too. Uh, yeah, you know, anybody who gets mixes it up is going to need those after a while, especially with the proliferation of monsters that can only be hit by magical weapons and such. These are important things to give out, and you should give them out, but it doesn't mean you should give them out just willy nilly. Yeah, I, I mentioned a rule of thumb I've had for a long time, and I mentioned it a while back. I just personally, and I, I don't advocate that everybody should do this, I just throw it out there for usability for others, uh, but, you know, plus one per four levels of the player character. Uh, you know, once they cross a certain barrier, like fifth or so, they should be looking at some plus two gear and some opponents that merit that plus two gear. Yeah. Uh, and so on and so forth. But, you know, you're exactly right. It's just... You've got to thread the needle uh, between excessive reward and uh, downright stinginess, which, you know, neither of those two states of affairs are ideal. You, right. you really want to get right in that middle ground uh, and give them the tools they need to face higher level challenges. All right, and then, you know, as you get higher up in levels... You know, magic items become a little bit more common because the monsters they face have them. Now, it also means that some of the more intelligent monsters will be using them. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the problem is that once you enter into combat, sometimes these items can be destroyed through just sword play or uh, casting spells. So also keep track of that. But as we've mentioned before, you know, magic items are there to create a sense of purpose in the game. They are what you're really risking life and limb for, and they're the ultimate reward. Um, making your magic items unique 
is a very uh, powerful thing to help players identify with those items and keep them and really treasure them from just uh, a very descriptive uh, idea on a sword or you know, use your lexicon oh. and uh, thesaurus, there it is again, to really bring out something nice in the detail of the weapon makes it eye-catching and also giving it with a little bit of unique power. It's even a plus two sword that just detects gems. Oh yeah, just uh, you know, giving it a description, giving it uh, characteristics. Uh, there are a number of old tables that can be found in Dragon Magazine and other volumes mm -hmm. that describe interesting quirks for weapons, or if if you're that rarefied DM who has the complete set of, like, all of the first and second edition magical items ever published. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm sporting that. Uh, and the quirks table, I've always found to be a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, it's nice to... Uh, what was it? Uh, there was a guy who almost uh, was in tears over letting his old sword go. Uh, and the thing was, like, magic, but with no plus, okay? It was, uh, it had been enchanted, uh, but it really only did a few things. Um, you know, the first thing it, it did was it never rusted and never required sharpening or cleaning. Uh, the second was that it would not break under anything but the kind of circumstances that would obviously trash an artifact. And the third thing it did was jump to his hand when called. Uh, and he just loved that sword from, like, level two on. Uh, and he finally got his hands on a plus two weapon and was just like, I, I, I don't want to give up my favorite sword, though. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's kind of the thing you do. But you also don't want to be tr uh, too tripped up on details because, you know, you may have that nice sword, but when a plus four or five weapon comes in, you have a very hard time convincing players not to take that new weapon because, well, it's, you know, hey, I know you really like making the sword from you, Mr. DM, but uh, I'm taking the plus four defender, okay? That's just yeah. all there is to, well, you know, it's just kind of plain Jane, you know, it's just got some gold ornamentation here and there. Yeah, but it's a plus four defender, you know. I'll hang the old one on the wall, okay? Yeah, and I'll give a nod to the folks over at uh, Pathfinder. Uh, you know, it looks like they've, they've taken a little from the spirit of old Ed Greenwood. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I was a huge fan of Greenwood's work uh, in terms of giving magical items uh, a background, mm -hmm. uh, giving them characteristics that were useful without being overwhelming. Right. Uh, and, you know, the uh, another idea that has come up that is not pure classic D&D, but that I find attractive just the same, is the scaling of magical items that develop in strength as the players develop. And I think that's a, just a really nice thing to see spreading into popular gaming, uh, you know, instead of in the isolated circumstances that I've seen it in, which, uh, oh, goodness, what's the name of that game? That, uh, uh, Earthdawn, yeah. Earthdawn. Yeah, Earthdawn was a little clunky with it, but it started the basic premise right off the bat. So, yeah. you know, that uh, as, a lot, as you gain level... Uh, you, yourself, you have uh, an item that uh, you bond yourself to and it grows with you. 
But the real thing was is you had to do deeds to unlock it. You know, you had to go back and find the history, you had to find the name, who created the sword, or whom it served, or whatever the item is. I say sword, but it could be any item. And you would make that, uh, you know, go through and fulfill part of the deeds that helped make the item legendary and, you know, unlock a new series of powers. That is interesting, and it helps encourage play, and it also gives your campaign a little bit of flavor. And, you know, makes that old plus one sword, you know, that's now plus three, <laughs> you know, and uh, plus five versus shape changers and all that, you know, makes it unique. So there is something about that that you can always incorporate from other games as well as from the newer systems. But um, magic items have a lot of history, and, of course, you have to give them out. They are expected by players, but that doesn't mean that they get what they want. Sometimes they have to do things, and... Uh, you know, that brings me to the, our closing points here as uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up as we're starting to go over 30 minutes with you. hope you've enjoyed our little segue here, but here's one. I found that, uh, like, certain types of armor, you know, obviously plate mail and chain mail are going to be the basic standards because they allow a good deal of flexibility and protection. But also putting in some items like um, that are a little off but a little higher in value in the magical Realm, like a plus four suit of splint mail. Now, splint mail has a kind of trade off. It's heavy, it, it's not really that flexible, and you don't see a whole lot of people wearing it because it does slow you down. But, you know, if you tell somebody, hey, you find a plus four suit of splint mail or a plus three suit of banded mail, they're going to jump at it because, hey, you know, yeah, it's, it's really good protection, but, you know, it does come with some drawbacks. Yeah, well, and of course, uh, most magic armor is somewhat less encumbering yes. than the normal version. So it's it's not such a terrible thing. Uh, it just doesn't get the prestige treatment. Uh, and, you know, I do agree. I, I think uh, getting variety in there uh, to represent the different types of armor that people, you know, would have had. Uh, no treasure, no large treasure trove is complete without something that makes the fighters pause and go, well, you know, I could switch gear a little bit. Yeah. For something this nice. Optimization of your gear and items is something that uh, in MMORPGs, like, wow, that's a big factor. Now, <laughs> not so much in uh, tabletop games, because you don't get into the esoterics of the high numbers that they use. But it is from that old ethic of, like, hey, you know, uh, I found a, a suit of banded mail, plus three. I mean, yeah, it's not as good as plate mail, plus one. One, but the armor class is better, and, well, you know, there's plus and minuses to it. Yeah. And it makes them roll with marble around a little bit, and it gives a different opening to the game that they didn't see before. You know, they're just going for the most optimal, most affordable, and most protective piece of gear when they're low levels. But as they get higher, you know, throwing those higher-level items out there that are stranger types of armor does make the fighters change up their gear a little bit, and uh, that's all that can be done with those things, so... But as we're going on uh, 35 minutes, we're going to wind it up here. Yes, yes. Time to bring it to a close. Uh, although it has been fun. Oh, Happy yeah. Friday. Uh, everybody enjoy your weekend of gaming if you get some. Uh, and if you can't, then, you know, kick back, enjoy, be well. Yep. We always, uh, here at the Dice of Screaming, uh, we appreciate the podcast community and all the support we've gotten Colin from Snake Pit, Old Man Grognard on Radio Grognard, and of course Tim Shorts, Gothridge Matter. C. Thorin over at Playing It Wrong. One and of my favorite names ever. Yep, and Larry Hamilton. Follow me at Die. 
Yep. Follow me and die. That's a standard that you can follow him into the dungeon. Hopefully you won't die. But yeah, all you guys, I hope you're doing fine. And thanks a lot for all your support and kind words. We really appreciate it. And as ever, also make sure you like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, where I'm at Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D Gaming. And I am Magi Vox at Twitter as well. And also we're on Instagram too. Hashtag the Dice Are Screaming. My oh. wife's running that one. Yeah, she's already prepped and ready for our session tonight. So with that, we're going to bid you adieu. Thanks a lot. And we will be touching on these things in depth later on. So like as Mike hinted at, this is going to be a series. But we're also going to be coming at you soon with some other ideas. Science fiction gaming, superhero gaming. Looks like oh, Tuesday yeah. I'm going to be uh, doing a solo cast or maybe getting some help from a surprise guest. Uh, we'll figure out who that is when uh, Tuesday comes. Mike's not going to be with us. But I will be podcasting on Tuesday. And as ever, we have kind of moved on a little bit. Yes, I, I will miss you all, but uh, I'm uh, bound for the Upper Peninsula. So yeah, I'm a man with a mission, and it involves a kayak. <laughs> um, in any case, be well. Yeah, be well. And remember, may the yeah, dice, dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.